Welcome to uh, waking up, realizing it was an inconvenient day, and deciding that you were going to burst through it anyway because you wanted to hear the next sermon in the series called Inconvenient. And so here we are in that. Today I want to talk about success. I want to talk about success as an inconvenient life, okay? I want to talk about a guy in the Bible who's living an inconvenient life, who has lived an inconvenient life, and yet it was still considered major, excuse me, major success. I want to begin it by asking you, how do you measure success? Is it the one with the most toys? Is it the one with the bigger house? Is it the one that has the greater job? Is it the one that says, hey, I make more money than anybody else in the office? Is it, how do you measure success? Is it the church that's got the most people that come to it? How will you measure success? Because somewhere in your life, you will need... Uh, I'm not a guy that thinks everybody should get a trophy. Somebody wins and somebody loses. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you have not been successful in doing what you were called to do. And so I want to look at that. So let me just say this. Circumstances do not dictate success or failure. They are tools that reveal our character. And character leads us into success or failure. Want me to do that again? Circumstances do not dictate success or failure. Circumstances don't do that, okay? They are tools that reveal our character. Circumstances are tools that God uses to reveal our character. It's our character that ushers us into success or failure. Somebody might look at, uh, at Noah and say, Noah, you know, you're building this boat. How do you know that if you build this boat exactly the way God said to build this boat? Now, let's move the metaphor to you. How do you know if, if you do exactly what God's called you to do, if you're being the best you that you can be in God, how do you know that the boat, that your life, that whatever is going to float? How do you know that? Here's the deal. Floating is not your responsibility. That's God's responsibility. Building the boat God's way is your responsibility. God called Noah, success or not, float or not, to build a boat. If the boat would have sunk, I believe that Noah was still incredibly successful because it was about obedience, not produce. God calls us to send the word out. He uses us to get the word out, but it will not go out and be unproductive, it says. It will come back productive God's way. It's just a matter of how do you and I measure success, all right? Um, I don't know what you consider a successful life or if you feel like you're leading a successful life. But listen to this. We all face tough times. We all go through difficult circumstances. We might call them hurdles, but a hurdle is something you jump over. You might call it a fork in the road, but believe it or not, a fork in the road is something you can come back to and then choose to go down a different uh, fork of the road. You might say, I'm facing a catastrophe. And I will tell you, yes, but that is not insurmountable in your life. A catastrophe will change the landscape forever, and it will move you. So even there, you might find God doing something successful. And at the end of the day, an inconvenience is nothing more than a temporary distraction with great potential. Did you get that? An inconvenience, when you face an inconvenience in your life, and it can be a major inconvenience, it can be a minor inconvenience, but when you face an inconvenience in your life, it can be a temporary distraction 
with a great potential from God. And I want to encourage you. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the person we know as Paul, the Apostle Paul, led an inconvenient life. Considered one of the most successful Christians of all time, he wrote most of the New Testament that you read today. He wrote it. And we consider, oh, that Paul, he was an amazing man of God. He was so successful. He, he, he won at what God asked him to do. And yet, when we think about this, we wonder, is that true? Because Paul was a guy on his way to the top. He was a rising star. Paul was the guy that was going to be the guy to the Jewish system back in Jesus' day. He was going to be God's top earner, if you will. He was going to be the next Gamaliel, if you will. You see, Gamaliel was the teacher that taught Paul. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Paul was the guy. People knew who he was. He was this guy. I don't know if you know who Letitia Wright is. Do you know who Letitia Wright is? Letitia Wright is, is the one that played the sister in the movie Black Panther. I asked somebody, I always have some go-to people, my youngest daughter and, well, my oldest daughter too. I can go to them and say, hey, I need a reference. So I went to my youngest daughter this time and I said, listen, I need a reference of a rising star. She said, Letitia Wright. I thought, well, okay, I'll put a picture up here because I don't know who Letitia Wright is. Well, this is Letitia Wright. She is the sister in Black Panther. And you think, oh, yeah. And so my daughter said she is the rising star in Hollywood today. You say, oh, really? Yeah, because she came on the scene, but she made it big right there. And here's the deal. This young lady right now was the highest earning actress at the box office in 2018. And you didn't know about her in 2017. Some of you might say, oh yeah, she had a bit part in. But this is like the, this is like the Paul of Hollywood today. Paul is the guy that is going to be the top earner. He's on his way I mean, to making it happen. He is an he's the it guy. He got to study under Gamaliel. It would be like sitting under Billy Graham for years and years and years. He probably was going to be the next Gamaliel. And he describes his life this way. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, it says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, and it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about Jewish people that say you have to become a Jew before you can be a Christian. That's who he's talking about in this letter, okay? But he goes on to say, For it is we who are the circumcision, who, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. When he says puts no confidence in the flesh, he's saying who puts no confidence in our ability to be good enough that God will let us into heaven. It's not possible. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. And look what he says. He says, uh, Though I myself have a reason to be that confident, basically to think that I had earned my way to heaven. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh and their abilities, he said, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. This is Paul's resume. This is Paul telling you that if anybody in the synagogue had the right to stand up and boast, it was me. 
He said, I was rising, it was happening, I was born into the right tribe, I was part of the right people in the world, I was a Jew, and everybody knows we're better than everybody else. He said, and there's 613 commandments that Jews have to live by. He said, in relationship to those 613 commandments, I lived a faultless life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't ever go to bed and lay my head on my pillow and say, God, you must be really impressed with me because there's not a chance that I sinned today. I mean, have you ever laid your head on your pillow and said, yo, Lord, do you see some of this? Because that is what it is right here. I can't imagine standing up and saying, I have never, and in relationship to God and spiritual things, I don't sin and I never have. I can't imagine standing in front of you. I lay my head on my pillow every single night and I say, God, please forgive me for whatever it is that I miss because I know I miss things. And I say, God, please forgive me because I really wanted to run that person over out on the highway today that has no business acting like that. And why won't the, the, the KSP hire me to do nothing but write tickets for people doing 65 in the left lane. Could I just have your attention for a PSA for a split second? The left lane is not for through traffic. It is referred to in the driver's manual as a passing lane. If you are not actively passing somebody, you are not supposed to be in that lane. And if I run you clear off the road, do not show up at church and say, man, you're kind of testy out there on the road because you are sinning against the government that was established by God Almighty by breaking the law and going slow in the left lane. If you say, well, I was doing 71, I don't care. It has nothing, believe it or not, it has nothing to do with the speed limit. If you are backing up traffic, you are not supposed to be in that lane. And one more while I'm here, and I'll throw this one out there for free. For free. Do you know that there is no place on the bypass in Richmond, Kentucky? Can I just, I've lived here since 2003, and I, so far I've not choked anybody to death, okay? There is no place on the bypass in Richmond, Kentucky, you are more than welcome to test me in this, that the speed limit is 35. It's 45 from exit 90 all the way to, excuse me, it's 55 from exit 90 to Kroger's. From Kroger's to exit 87, it's 45 miles an hour. Please stay out of my way. Okay? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You see, there's not a day goes by that I don't lay my head on my pillow and I need to ask forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I have been saved by God, I am now a saint, I am a child of God, and I am doing my best. But I cannot imagine being Paul and laying my head on the pillow and going, oh Lord, you must be so impressed with me, right family, right tribe, right people, right everything, I'm the rising star, Lord, tell Billy Graham to move over because I'm showing up, and it's my turn now. I can't imagine that. But Paul said he could actually boast that. He was living the life. When he walked into the room, people were like, Paul 
here. Paul's here. Whoa. And they want to shake his hand. You know, Sanctus Reel's coming. And Mark Grawlman, the drummer's a, a friend of mine. I won't go to so far as to say a good friend, but I would say a good enough friend. And I would dare say he'll say he's a good friend of mine. But I'm so excited that Sanctus Reel's coming. I'm, I'm stoked. And we say, but Sanctus Reel's coming to our church. That's awesome. This was Paul, the apostle, and he was living a successful life. You know what he was doing? He was killing Christian people. No, he was murdering. He was having them murdered. He would run into this room and he would split us up, take us prisoner, send the women over there, send the husbands over there, confiscate your house confiscate your property, sell it off, send the money to Jerusalem, to the temple. He was what he called persecuting the church. Look at me. I'm destroying all of the fake people that say they're chasing God when the fact of the matter was he was doing all of the wrong things for all of the right reasons. He loved God. He was trying to live right. He was trying to make sure he earned his way to heaven. He was trying to keep all the little laws that kept popping up. The problem was he needed a heart change. He needed it. Because he loved God. He wanted God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He wanted God to be proud of him. But he was trying to earn his salvation. And finally God showed up in his life and said, Saul, knock it off! Now listen to me. This is what I need you to do. And suddenly the man that was known as the guy that persecuted the church had become the church. And yet we still consider he had a successful life. But you know there is success in suffering. There is. We don't like it, especially in our culture and in our humanity. And the further we get away from our creation, the more struggle it is. Look what Paul says to the letter in 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 11, verse 21. Whatever anyone dares to boast about, oh my word, I'm speaking like a fool, he says, I will boast about. You want to boast? Okay, I'll put my boast up against your boast. God, please forgive me for being the fool that needs to boast about himself. That's what that means. He says, anybody else that dares to boast? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of the Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more a servant of Christ. Now look at what he considers a success. This is a successful life, according to Paul. He said, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes, the 40 lashes minus one. That's the lashes that Jesus got. It's just that apparently they used a whip on Jesus that had metal and pottery and stuff like that ground into it. But he still got the 39 lashes. Five times his body went through that, he said, okay? With, I believe without the shrapnel, all right? He said, um, three times I was uh, beaten with rods. He says, I was once stoned to death, pelted with stones. He was stoned to death, actually, and left outside the city for dead. He said, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open waters. I have been constantly on the move, constantly in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have toiled and labored, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, 
You see what he said? I have been beaten, left for dead. I have been bloodied. I have been left naked and cold outside, freezing to death. He said, I have been without clothes. I have been chased around by the enemy. Bandits have cast. All of these awful bad things have happened. But he considers something even greater than that. Look what he says. Besides, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of you. And do you see that? Yeah, he's been beaten. Yeah, he's been stoned to death. Yeah, he's been stripped naked. Yeah, he's been left outside the city. Yeah, he's been shipwrecked. Yeah, he spent more than 24 hours out on the open waters not knowing if he was going to drown or not. Yeah, he did all that. But you want to know what's worse than that? I was so worried for you. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm so worried for you. The greatest pressure and the, and the most anxious thing inside of my soul is that I was hurting for you. I was hurting for you. But then he goes on to say, he says, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And so he has this juxtaposition where he says, uh, in one statement, he says, I was the greatest Jew ever. I was so successful. My life was going places. People knew who I was. Probably one of those guys that would say, I haven't bought a drink in the rest of my life forever. Every time I walk into someplace, somebody wants to buy me dinner. Somebody wants to buy me this. Somebody wants to buy me that. He's saying, I was so successful and everybody knew who I was and, and, and God himself must be impressed. And then he comes over here and says, you want to boast about that? Okay, I've boasted, but let me tell you something that's even greater than that. I've been left for dead, stoned, beaten with rods. I've been shipwrecked. Uh, uh, bandits have captured me. I've been faced this. I've faced that. And man, I'm still chasing God. And more than all of that, I'm so concerned for the church. Man, what do we call success there? What on earth? is going on. You know, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul is saying, I know what it's like to be blessed by God and to thank God because I can pull the big, fat, fluffy covers up over to my chin, and I can be all cozy warm when the temperature's falling and the ice is falling. He said, but you know what? When I was over here and I was homeless and I was beaten and I was bloodied and I was naked, I found a way to say, thank you, God. I found a way to say, this is an inconvenient life, Lord. I don't like being beaten. But I found some way to be content knowing that I was fulfilling something on behalf of the kingdom of God even though he may not know what it was. Have you learned that lesson? Is it always more and better and bigger? Or can we stop and say, Lord, what is it for me? Back when I went to Bible college and I was growing 10, 12 years into knowing Jesus in a really profound way personally, I remember going to Bible college and and my wife and I were trying to figure out how to make ends meet and we needed a vehicle. And so I told the Lord, Lord, I need a Cadillac. Because it's 42 miles to Bible college. My wife said, you can't pray to God for a Cadillac. That's selfish. 
Well, the Scripture said, according to Jesus himself, if you knowing how to give good gifts to your children on this earth, then how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to you? Can't I ask? And I asked. I said, Lord, would you help us out here? We've got to have something reliable to get back and forth to Bible college. I'm trying to do what you're asking me to do. I've, I, I, we were in a small group with some of you, and, and, and I know that some of you, when you come to God, you're like, you can't ask God for big things. And I'm going to tell you, stop asking God for small things. Do it. He is a big God. You just have to know that no is an okay answer. I said, God, can I have a dependable Cadillac to drive in style back and forth to Bible college? He said, no. Here's a Volkswagen Dasher. Do you know what a dasher is? You guys are like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's a step above a Hugo. Some of you are like, what's a Hugo? I had to tell somebody what a Hugo is. It's a Volkswagen Rabbit, one step down. It came with a motor, four tires, two doors. If you wanted window winders and there was no bzz, bzz, there was no electric. If you wanted a radio in a Hugo, it was extra. I got a dasher. You know what I did? I didn't say, I hate this thing, Lord. Come on, I'm going. I said, yeah, I got a dasher. This is awesome. I'm going to college, you know, school, Bible college in a dasher. I asked God for a Cadillac. My wife said, you didn't get one. I said, I got a dasher. I'm so excited. It's weird, isn't it? I was having coffee with somebody the other day trying to get this across to them and explain to them that an inconvenient life finds contentment in the, in the moment. An inconvenient life is somebody who lives in the moment with God. And he just so happened to create a metaphor for me because we were, where else, at the coffee shop and he put his coffee cup down and he had drunk half of it out and I said, it's like this coffee cup. I said, somebody says, Joe, I have something for you and slides me a half a cup of coffee. I have one of two ways to look at this. Where's the rest of the coffee? Or, look, I have coffee. And I'm the guy that takes that coffee cup and goes, wow, I got a half a cup of coffee. This is awesome. I love it. I don't care if I didn't get a whole cup. I got a half a cup. Thank you, God, for half a cup of coffee. I remember when my wife and I um, we're, we're young, in love, married, and decided that we, you know, God called us into ministry, we're going to Bible college, didn't really have an income at all, we, another sermon. But I believe in dating my wife. And I'm telling you, every single Friday, we were on a date, and we would go to this place called Friday's, brand new store, it's like 28 miles away, we would drive to Friday's, and you know, we had enough money for two Diet Cokes, and the free chips that you got, but if you don't buy food, they charge you for the chips. Okay? Now you go to Casa Cafe, and man, you could die on chips before they finally bring you your food. But back then, it was like, hey, you gonna buy anything? Because if you're not gonna buy anything, I'm gonna charge you for them chips. It's like, okay, charge me for the chips, but I can afford the chips, like, you know, $2. And we were so thrilled. I didn't say, man, I wish we could go to latitude 39 degrees. It wasn't long before I did go to latitude 39 degrees. And then I knew what eating out was about. But I was tickled to death in the moment with God and my wife to be sitting across the table having a Diet Coke and some chips and some salsa, and that's all we could afford. And I was like, yay, God, look at my life. It's awesome. I thought I was on top of the world because I wasn't looking at what God wasn't doing for me. I was thankful for what he did do for me. You see, my life didn't start there. My life started in a dark and 
cold corner of the world, so to speak, and I have been blessed by God to chase him. Somebody introduced me to God, and being introduced to God changed my whole life in a radical way. I have been chasing God and doing things His way ever since. It's the best of my ability, and when I sin, getting back up, asking His forgiveness, and moving on. And today, I feel like my life is a dream. Yes, I can always look around and say, I know what some of these um, lead pastors or some of these smaller churches are making financially, but I don't care. God is providing for me and my family, and I am a happy, happy guy. 2019, as I'm examining my life and seeing where God's brought me, I look at my children that are all involved in ministry and chasing after Jesus and at times speaking in front of you. I'm still chasing this beautiful woman through this world, and we both love people and being involved in people's lives. I serve a great church. I don't serve a good church. I serve a great church that has people coming in here saying, our lives have been wrecked, and we know what love is through service, and even our children love being here and serving alongside of the rest of the tribe. I want to be a part of that kind of a church. And people would count me successful, and I'm going to tell you right now, I do enjoy it. But like the writers of Ecclesiastes said, I stand before God and I say, thank you for the strength that you give to my life, and you tell me to get my behind in gear because he's given us the strength to do it. He hasn't just dropped this on me. There were times when I was walking away from God way back before I met him that God said, your life is going to end up in hell or jail. And I didn't care back then. And the Lord has brought me to here, and he's done it because I've been willing to work my tail off. I've been willing to suffer for 10 years under the poverty line at a church out west. And I didn't care. I found joy in a picnic. I found joy in a tank of gas and a motorcycle. I found joy in going to basketball games um, in the local community. I found joy in riding a horse. I found joy in mowing the lawn. Because I'm healthy and I can do this. And it's awesome outside today. But like Paul... In Philippians chapter 3, he says, But what things were gained to me, I've counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I'm I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, my own abilities, but the, um, that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that is from God and believing. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You will never be good enough. That doesn't mean don't be good. It means be good because God loves you. It means do godly things because God loves you. Not to win God's love. But live with God in the moment. Don't keep living in the moment thinking, when is God going to show up? He's already there. My success in life, and I say this generically to you, my success in life, is going to be a result of giving God my best yes. Is that what God gets from you, your best yes? Does he get the first tithe off your paycheck? Does he get the first tithe off of your time and energy? Does he get the first tithe off of your relationship? Or do you serve God leftovers when he comes to your house? In God's strength, I've worked my tail off and found joy in God, whether I was working in the church. I was a 
second career pastor. I used to do construction work, and, and believe it or not, I loved it. For six years in the state of Kentucky, I was a bivocational pastor. Not my goal, not my calling, but I found a way to, to enjoy it because I love meeting people. I love solving problems. I love driving and just listening to Christian music. I just love what God's given to me in life. I never dreamed it would be here. And so I want you to understand that a successful life is going to be an inconvenient life. I'm going to share this with you. We stated last week that inconvenient means causing trouble, difficulties, or discomfort. God is going to bring you to places in your life that are inconvenient. Are you going to stop what you're doing and do what he's asking? That's the point. A successful life is inconvenient because it realizes I surrender my life to God. God does not surrender his life to me. I'm not asking God to surrender to me. He didn't die on the cross so he could surrender to me. He died for me so he could save me. He wants my life. This has to mean that my life belongs to God no matter what comes. I follow God leads. It's kind of like dancing. I'm not a big dancer, but sometimes I like to dance. And I don't know if you've ever danced with a woman who's strong and powerful and doesn't follow. I never have. I'm just saying as a metaphor, some of you might have. And you're going this way and she's going that way. And you're like, what's going on? But that defines your relationship to God because He's trying to lead and you're trying to pull. I didn't surrender. Excuse me, God didn't surrender to me. I surrendered to God. And you've got to get a hold of that, man. You've got to own that truth. Paul, in the, at the end of the book of, of Acts, stood before King Agrippa. And he said, I was not disobedient to the vision. God led, I followed. And then remember everything that he said it cost him to follow. Remember all that stuff? That's what it cost him, and he still followed. He didn't try to lead. Well, one time he tried to lead, but the Holy Spirit said no and took him in a different direction. The second thing I want to share with you real quick is that we all have an inconvenient chapter to our lives. And some of you may be in that inconvenient chapter. You may be there right now. You're in an inconvenient place and you're like, God, I don't like this. Get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. An inconvenient chapter to your life is a part that hurts. It hurts. And you think that God's not paying attention. And He's paying attention. Because surgery hurts. Sometimes what He's doing is to bring you what you're crying out for. You've just settled for less than He's about to do in your life. I'm not saying you're going to get everything you want on this planet. What I'm saying is, He's working on your behalf. An inconvenient chapter is the chapter that nobody sees. You think you're all alone. You think that nobody knows, and God does. And He can actually send somebody to your life. An inconvenient chapter is where God molds our strength in the fire. And it's hot. And it's difficult. And I want to encourage you to embrace it and push through. Stop crying to get out of it. Because it's an experience, but not a residence. 
Sometimes those difficult chapters, and we all have difficult chapters. I'm telling you right now, I have diff- we've had difficult chapters. I have a file in my file cabinet from when I planted this church, and it's called Hell Summer. And I'm not trying to be mean or nasty or swear or stuff like that. I'm just telling you, it was some of the worst times I have been through relationally with people. I got treated everything but fair that summer, and it was awful. And I remember starting that summer and screaming at God, you need to do something about your children. And God said, I am. But you still have to go through it. Stop saying, get me out of it. And instead, start saying, God, what do I need to learn here that's preparing me for what you're going to ask of me? See? It's an experience. It's not a residence. Paul told the church in Rome, he said, But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. There we are back to that character again that God is trying to shape. God is using all the things that you've been through to change your future and to bring the very thing that you've been crying for. The last thing is, A successful life is an inconvenient life because it's focused on the long game. It's focused on the long game. We live in the moment knowing that it's the long game. It's the perseverance. It's staying at it. It's not letting up. It's not quitting. It's the second coming of Jesus. It's the going home and leaving this planet. It's the knowledge that God has not left us and He has not forsaken us. And if something hasn't worked out here and He's going to move us to another state, another city, another house, another whatever, another job, another financial situation, He is allowing us to go through a difficulty because He is going to move us here's the key but are you living for christ do you realize your job as a gift from god and as a place of doing ministry do you understand your college experience as a gift from god but that you've been appointed to be a missionary there? Do you understand your your local relationships as opportunities to talk about God, to invite people into a relationship with God, to walk with God, to experience God? Do you understand that you have a relationship with people that need to correct you, regardless of how young or old you are? Because walking with God is never a destination. It is always a journey. You start by surrendering your life to God, and then you walk. Paul was always focused on the long game. Listen, here's your homework for this week. I want you to read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And as you're reading the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, I want you to understand that this chapter brings this idea home, that it's about being faithful, not creating the produce. This is referred to as the hall of faith, the heroes of the faith. These are the greats that made this list. Enoch walked with God and he never died. You say, well, who's Enoch? See what I mean? And yet his life was successful. He walked with God. Noah was a man that was inconvenienced for the rest of his life, 120 years. Abraham had God intervene and inconvene in his life. Then there's Gideon and Samson and Barak and David and Samuel, Elisha and Elijah and Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew and Thomas. And all of these people died in anticipation of what God was about to do. They had expectation. They all saw and were called successes according to the writer of the book of Hebrews. You're fine. 
She says, he's starting to wind back up a little bit. The scripture says all of these were commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. Because God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God showed them the future, invited them to be a part of it, but then promised them that it wasn't going to come until the Christ came and had been raised from the dead so that they could come out of paradise, another theological discussion for another time, and that they would join all of us who died in heaven. See? They were looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. They recognized that they did not belong on this planet. They were created by God. And this chapter of their life that was hurtful and difficult and had suffering in it was but for a short time, and then God's going to turn the page. And there's going to be a new chapter that starts in your life tomorrow or next year or next month or when you leave the planet. But there's a new chapter that's going to start. And only in the big extreme of the long vision of eternity do we realize that 70 or 80 years on this planet is but a minute in the economy of God. I don't expect that people will ever write books about Joe Wood. I expect that 50 years after my death, people will not know who I am. Who I am because I will not be dead. I will just be living in a different place. And I believe that. Not many people know who Mordecai Ham is. And yet, his life was successful. He led Billy Graham to Jesus in 1934. He was the guy that was having the tent meetings, going without, in the rain, in the heat, suffering, but preaching the gospel. We all know who Billy Graham is. Success is inconvenient because you have to do what no one else is doing. You have to leave what no one else is willing to leave. You have to go where nobody wants to go. You have to say what no one wants to hear. And you have to understand what no one wants to believe. It's an inconvenient life, but it's a successful life. It's not measured by people, cars and houses and money and 401ks. It's measured by investments in people. It's measured by investments in relationship with God Himself. It's not measured by how much money you have, how pretty you are, how many friends you have, how many likes you got on that last post. It's measured by your disciples. It's measured by enjoying God in the moment. Some of you are going through a difficult chapter in your life and it's inconvenient for you. It is. It's a health issue, it's a spiritual issue, it's a financial issue, it's a relational issue, it's a career issue, it's a schooling issue, it's a family issue, it's a career issue. I, I, I don't know, but, but you're facing, you're facing and you're in a difficult chapter, an inconvenient chapter of your life right now. And the Holy Spirit said to me this morning when I sat down, because I don't have it written down, they're in an inconvenient chapter. Have them come forward for prayer. So I want to invite you to your feet, and we're going to go into this closing song. We're going to wrap things up, and we're going to drive safely home, safely home. And we're going to get there, and God is going to be with us. But until then, listen to me. Your heart has been stirred and you know it's you. And these people are here to pray for you because you're in an inconvenient chapter. And I'm telling you right now, 2019, it's inconvenient. But that's because we're going to do things God's way 
It's going to rock our world. Chasing after God. So come on up here and let's let them pray for you.